Anyways, let's get rolling here. So welcome to episode three of a Woodturner's Journey podcast. We've made it, well, almost three episodes. We've started the third, so we're going to get right into the introductions and we're going to introduce Marcus as my co-host today. You can find him, of course, at Red Chair Woodworks and all the social medias or search Marcus Brown. He likes to spell it with a K-U-S, Marcus. But other than that, you can find me, Chris, at Hiram Woodworking on any of the social medias or even at What Would You Turn? Wood is spelled W-O-O-D, of course. And search that or search my name, Chris Jacobson, something wood turning woodworking related. You might be able to find me. Usually you probably found this podcast through social media, so you know how to find us. So to get us started this afternoon, I guess it is, early evening, it doesn't matter because you're listening to it whatever time you want to listen to and whatever you want to do while you're listening. To get us started, Marcus, what are you working on? What's on your bedways right now? Hey, well, you know, I'm keeping busy, as uh, you well know. I've been working through some twice-turn bowls, so for those that may not know, there's a way where you can take a green piece of wood and turn it into a really thick roughed out bowl and then cover it up with wax and then set it off to the side and some months later depending on how size and the species it's it's dried up enough so that you can rechuck it up and turn it into a finished bowl and well i have a very large sycamore bowl large in its depth it's maybe 14 inches in diameter but it's seven or eight inches deep and when it gets that deep i kind of think that's that's getting into the large size of things and it's really interesting because it was a crotch piece of sycamore that had bark inclusions inside but something that trees do i don't know if it's a sycamore thing but it looks like the inside of this tree it was started to grow a branch the branch didn't work out and the tree literally grew right over the top of the branch. And so there was this void of bark and semi rotten wood that was just happened to be in the middle of this bowl blank. I didn't, you couldn't tell from the outside. There was some significant uh, bark inclusions, but you couldn't tell that there was going to be this void and, Anyways, it it's I cored it out and um, you know waxed it up and set it off to the side and and now I've got to recheck it up and start working on it. Um, it is it's very interesting to me because there's a lot of voids, there's a lot of missing wood in this. Not a lot, a lot. I mean, there's some examples out there where <laughs> there's probably more void than wood. That's not this. This is you know, it was, it was significant enough when I was hollowing it out, I had to wrap the blank with plastic to keep it from, to make me feel safe that at least if it broke, it wasn't going to blow off in 27 different pieces. But, um, I'm really excited to get that back on there. I'm going to use some techniques, um, you know, with that sycamore, it's kind of a, um, tan, creamy colored woods. So um, the voids look really good when you fill it up with CA glue and coffee grounds. 
Um, my little trick with doing that is I take coffee grounds and I grind them even finer than normal com- coffee grounds. I just put it in my coffee grinder and kind of get a little more dust-like rather than granule-like. And uh, I find that that works really well. I'll just pack it and just use thin CA glue and fill that in. And sometimes, you know, then you go back through and, you know, if you have to do any more turning or, or you know, I like to use the, the negative rig scraper to kind of clean it up, you know, get the excess off or after sanding, sometimes you have to come back in with a little more CA glue, but it, it looks so perfect. It looks just like bark and folks would never know until you told them, yeah, that's coffee grounds and CA glue. They wouldn't know that. So I'm looking and forward to getting... people don't even know what CA glue is anyways. Yeah. Super, is. It's super, super glue. glue. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. super glue. <laughs> when you, when you do those fills with, with coffee grounds or even mica powder or whatever you end up filling it with, do you, maybe not with sycamore specifically, but do you find that you have to do a shellac coat or something like that to keep it that thin CA? I, I have a problem with this thin CA soaking in around into the grain and sometimes it can change the, uh, the sanding process, but also the finish process. It ends up showing yes. up as weird little stains. So is that, is that something you find consistent with when you do fills like that? Yes, a hundred percent. And and for me, it's recent. I, I've just recently started to do that as a protective of all the areas I don't want to have CA glue get on. Um, but yeah, I'll, and then I was using the Zinzer uh, de-waxed uh, seal coat, but I recently bought some uh, plain clear um, shellac flakes and uh, I ground those up in my coffee grinder and and did a two pound cut. the The stuff out of the can is a three pound cut, and uh, I that two pound cut was so thin it was just it was really perfect to get into all those little cracks and crevices. And it dried, you know, twenty minutes later, I was ready to rock and roll. Uh, but you're absolutely right that that uh, shellac you'll you it's easy to sand off. It doesn't interrupt any other finish, and it will protect the wood so it doesn't get stained. Um, that's a that's a great, great trick, Chris. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what's... The best thing about shellac is shellac sticks to everything, and everything sticks to shellac. That's kind of the, the woodworkers and woodturners kind of motto with shellac, which is it's a yeah. beautiful thing that that little lac bug ends up secreting, so... You, yeah, you don't know it's about amazing it, research. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, and it's so user friendly. If something, if something gets you know messed up, if you see any streaks or whatever, it easily sands. But you can also wipe it off with denatured alcohol. It's a very user friendly finish, quote unquote. But I just use it as a sealer. I don't use it as a as a finish. But yeah, that sycamore bowl, sycamore bowl is what I have on the lathe. And I, you know me, I'm prepping for this summer's Sunday market here in Astoria, Oregon. And I have a lot of bowls to turn, but luckily I have a lot of bowls ready to go. So more to report. How about nice. you, buddy? That What's on awesome. your ways? What do you got? Uh, what spinning? is on my bedways right now is some um, birch, a birch tree that, uh, 
a friend of mine had come down maybe four years ago now and he let me come and take out however many pieces i wanted i picked through the the bigger pieces and the pieces that were less rotted grabbed that one finished or rough turned it and cored it out i think i had it marked as 2021 no wait might have been 2020 sorry 2020 when i cored <laughs> that thing out february of 2020 so it's about four years that it's been dry and it's plenty dry so i got the outside finish turned and then turned it around to try and do the inside got got the rim flattened out so it was just a little less wobbly and then started working on the inside a little but i still wasn't happy with the outside i had a little tear out and i was trying to i was trying to cheat and trying to do some cuts that were not ideal for that grain <laughs> it just was tearing out it you know mm -hmm. doing it from the out from the bottom of the bowl out to the rim from the outside is fine if you can get access with your tool so mm -hmm. sometimes using a, a push cut is good but if you can't get that tool handle around especially with that the tailstock engaged to keep it on i had to revert to using a pull cut pull shear shear cut which i'm still like a pulling shear cut is a really challenging cut for me i don't do it enough to be able to get a good solid cut and i kept getting kind of wavy little like like mm. aspects to it you know and i just was not happy with it so what i ended up doing was turning it back around and pressing it against my vacuum chuck um big seven inch vacuum chuck what it's not a jaw what is it cup whatever it may be mm -hmm. i don't know what you call it a cup mm -hmm. and and then turning on the vacuum so then i had access to the back but i could pull the tailstock away just to get that that push cut around the bottom to get a nice little little flow to it but that helped me to fix that up and then i'm it's still sitting that way i got the outside cleaned up and pretty hopefully this evening for me the I sent the wife away to go mountain biking up in Bellingham. So I get all evening in the shop after we're done recording. I'm going to turn that bowl around and finish the inside, sand it. And then other than that, I'm, I could add that to the bowl stack of bowls that need to be sanded. At some point, I just need to get them all in the chuck, get them sanded and just, you know, put on some of my favorite podcasts that aren't a woodturner's journey and <laughs> just get in the zone and sand my life away. So you, at some point I gotta do find... that because I'm uh, I'm a month away from my show exactly to the date. So the tick is clocking. Do you ever find that the tear out is so frustrating? You know, you we use all those tips and tricks to try to you know, remove it, whether it's a sheer scrape or sheer cut um, versus, you even know, negative, negative rake, rake even sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I sometimes I get to the point where I'm, I'm going over and over and over and over it. And I'm like, I just need to start over with a brand new push cut. 
And uh, it's always a little, you know, that kind of, that's one of those tricks that's fantastic for creating a really smooth cut if done right. But you can also go too deep and you can change the shape really easily if you don't, if you're not careful. So it's always one of those things. And if you've already cored the bowl out, you know, if you've already hollowed out, you just don't, it, it wobbles and shakes and vibrates. And sometimes you have to pull out the old 40 grit gouge. And, <laughs> but I, I try to, I try, before I hollow, I try to make sure that outside is the way that I want to, but I like that push cut. Yeah. I love the, that push it's, cut. it's hard to beat that push cut, no matter what, what grind you're using on your, on your bowl gouge. Whether it's a 40 40, a 45 degree, or a 60 degree, like just that mm-hmm. push cut, get the right engagement on it, ride that bevel, mm-hmm. and it's you're going to get a good cut with with a good sharp gouge. And so that that's why I ended up just turning it back around and being mm-hmm. like, okay, I need to do it right, the right way, mm-hmm. the way I know it's going to work best. And so that's what I ended up doing. And it's it's looking good now. The outside is looking nice. I got a little accent to the rim, which will look nice and feel good in the hands. I always try and hold it in my hands, even on the lathe sideways, just to see how it's going to feel if a customer were to pick it up and hold it. You know, mm-hmm. it has that natural feel and like good thumb feel around the rim, and you know mm-hmm. they're going to feel that and notice that. So, that, yeah, I that, agree. That's where I'm at right now, and hoping hope i'm i'm gonna get it finished tonight i'm i'm inspired now just talking about it again so it's been it's been sitting there for about a week and a half since this new job started it's been a little hectic but i bet to move on to our next point what has inspired us as of late i know marcus you have something that's really inspired you lately you got to meet a new wood turner and even your lovely wife purchased a piece from him for you. So who is That's it that true. Has inspired you, Marcus? <laughs> well, I, like you said, uh, Stacy and I, we went down the Oregon coast to a little, little town named Cannon beach and Cannon beach is pretty well known for having galleries and, you know, little shops with, uh, crafted items. And, um, we went into one of the many and there happened to be a number of, turned wood turned objects in the store and the store was really small i mean if this store was it was kind of an l shape but might be 15 by 15 very small uh, but it had a absolutely beautiful uh, american chestnut bowl in there like a salad bowl and it was it's about 12 inches in diameter and maybe about five inches deep and it has that really wonderful lip. I always kind of think of Glenn Lucas, but it has that it flares out at the top, but it has a cuts in on the inside. So your thumb really has something to grab so you can one hand move the bowl around. But I was just, that was the first time I've ever held um, anything turned that was American chestnut. I I've not been around it. Uh, It's not been available to me. And my understanding is there's precious little, out there and it turns out that it it was a tree that came down on the national registry it was tree number 182 
and it came down and this tree was gigantic. I mean, the Turner sent me a picture of the tree where it came down in Portland, Oregon. It was the last American chestnut up there in Portland. And this grown man was standing next to the tree and the tree was two feet taller than he is. Uh, wow. no, there's, yeah, <laughs> it was, it, it just a massive tree. And uh, so it turned me on to checking out this, this Kevin gentleman. And I really don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's, it's very French name for sure. Jesquel. Yeah. But he's, he's pretty well known in the, in the turning community is certainly the American wood turning community. He's, I think he takes an active role up in Portland, Oregon. And uh, he is, it looks like, I, I think it's safe to say that one of his specialties are, really thin hollow forms. He does a lot of them. Um, and if you go to his Facebook page or his Instagram, you can see examples. He's inspired me. Um, I've always enjoyed turning hollow forms, but I haven't, this is the hollow form where you have like maybe an inch in diameter hole into maybe a six or seven inch tall by five inch wide hollow form. And I held his walnut piece that's a little more shaped like a vase rather than a cake. And it that taller one. It's well, it's taller, but it isn't, it's maybe 12 inches tall. It isn't huge. That's it. Exactly. Chris is holding a picture. I'm looking (laughs) at it on his Instagram right now. It's, it's six inches in diameter and nine inches high, but it's got a beautiful shape to it. It's so beautiful, but I held that in my hands and you could hardly tell it was there. It was just breathtaking. And I I really haven't had a whole lot of time. I reached out to Kevin and 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 told him I bought his bowl and he very quickly responded back that that the the shop owner let him know that as well and that it was a very enthusiastic uh customer. <laughs> and I uh told him I said, "Yeah," and I sent him a picture and I I'm holding the bullet to my face and Stacy took a picture and I've got a smile from one ear to the other. Cause it's not only a beautiful bowl, but it's, you know, I don't know. It's American chestnut. The, if you haven't spent time to learn about that tree, you're missing out. There's a great OPB program about it. The American chestnut was a very uh, forthright component of turn of the century and further back um, East coast living uh, the tree was used to build barns, buildings, everything. And quite frankly, through the depression, the nuts were used as a food source and a form, a way to make money. You know, they would harvest the nuts and rusting their chestnuts over an open fire kind of thing. Um, I've heard of that before. Yeah. So the, the, um, the providence of that bowl was entirely the rationale to buy it. You know, and I looked at Stacy and I'm like, we, we have to buy this bowl. And she's like, honey, you have a hundred bowls. And I'm like, this is American chestnut. But I don't have this bowl. Yes. Yes. And she could see that I was but, glazed over and had that, you know, obsessive look in my eye. And she's like, never mind. Just pull out the wallet. Do you, do you mind sharing how much the bowl cost? Well, I mean, it was a beautiful bowl. But I felt like, in my opinion, it was tremendously underpriced. Um, it was $175. And 
I mean, half, I've half, sold bulls half the price of what it should be. Well, I mean, I've sold bulls that are about that size for three hundred dollars just because of the exactly. figuring and the look of the bull. I, I don't exactly. know, buddy. I, I, my gut, and I even told the shop owner straight up. I said, my opinion is in front of the right audience, which is me, although I don't have this kind of money, this bowl should be like a four or $500 bowl just because of the, the scarcity of the, the wood, the timber. Yeah. And the history, yeah. it's so wonderful. And yep. so I told her, I said, knowing that, are you okay with, and she's like, yeah, yeah, no, no problem. And she thanked me. And, but it was like building a bridge, a friendship. We, we really sparked off, uh, uh, you know, good conversation, not only between the store owner, but also with Stacy, my wife, who's a potter. And she really wants us to bring some of our stuff down to sell our stuff. So it just kind of creates that relationship, which is, I know you and I have talked about this, buddy, but it's one of my favorite parts of any of the hobbies that I have is just making those people connections, you know, yeah. having that shared passion and like-mindedness and, but yeah, it, it, getting back to the statement, it's, it really inspired me. I bought a, a set of Ellsworth Halloween tools when I was lucky enough to be in his class this last June of 2023. And uh, you're going to send me some ash so I can make some handles. And uh, I want to get, I want to try doing a really thin I'm looking at his Facebook page because I'm 50 and that's what we do. Uh, but his hollow form, it's they're very wide, but they're relatively squat. So they're kind of like cake shaped, so to speak, or flying saucer shaped, if you will. And uh, I want to I want to pull that off and I want to meet Kevin. I I told him that um, I was inspired by his woodwork and that, you know, I had looked at his his social media profiles and his work is top notch. And, um, yeah, it's I think beautiful he's stuff for sure. Interesting. When you, when mm -hmm. you sent me the name, I went into Instagram to search it and lo and behold, I was already following him, which is a, a great <laughs> sign that I, I apparently had found him. However, at some point and was inspired by the work he had done. So yeah, he, well, Kevin Desquale does amazing stuff. He, although it's, it's, I haven't verified it and I don't want to, you know, embarrass him, but I think he's a fairly young man uh, with a young kid and wife. He's an electrician and, but he hasn't been turning for very long. The shop owner said that I don't think he's been turning more than three or four years. And I'm like, well, he has a gift. He really has talent and um, he has tremendous patience as well. Cause he not only does some beautiful turning, but his carving and he sandblasts and he does textures and he does some, some painting. Um, it really is lovely. His attention, his eye for the grain is amazing. So that's my inspiration for this, this round, my friend, sorry if I drone on, but it was really significant and a wonderful find. How about you? Yeah. What's uh, what has you inspired, sir? Well, we, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording and really it, this is somebody that's been an inspiration for a number of years as I've gotten 
more deeply into wood turning and and especially in the local scene here in Seattle of wood turning and in the local Seattle chapter of the American Association of Wood Turners is Elizabeth Weber. She was graced by being able to be on the cover of the American Association of Wood Turners magazine this month. She is on the cover. She has a six-page article that was written up by, oh, I don't have it in front of me, but Randy, oh, Randy Akins is the name. She helped write up the write-up for it. It's It really does a great job of talking about Elizabeth's history, but also what has inspired her for wood turning and woodworking in general. My wife has even been able to meet her. We She's active in the local spoon carving community even, and uh, and is an instructor at Pratt, one of the local art colleges here. She's done uh, demonstrations for our club. She is actually, as of recent, even taken on the opportunity of being the president of our wood turning club right now. So Elizabeth Weber, if you haven't seen her or heard her before in the wood turning world, she is, she has been a, a riser for a while. And really she goes by, I'm, I always butcher this. Like I can, I can say Kevin Jesquel, no problem, but Icosa, I-C-O-S-A Woodworks on Instagram or whatever social media you can find her on. She recently has been focused on, or not focused on, but she has been, uh, I don't know what I'm saying. She's been, what is it? <laughs> It is uh, her, the work that has been featured of Elizabeth has been, especially her poppies bowl that she made last year. She made it for her dad as a retirement gift for him. And it is a mixture of wood turning, carving, coloring and everything. And it is, oh my, it is one of the most beautiful bowls I've seen ever turned and she's done a few more she did recently even a bowl that is similar to that a pansy bowl with pansy flowers and she's an amazingly accomplished spoon carver and woodworker and even she even knows how to do flat woodworking too like some of us may or may not but yeah go and find elizabeth weber at icosa woodworks and send her a message and tell her how much you appreciate her because she is a hardworking and such a passionate and kind individual in general, very warm and engaging in all aspects of the woodworking and, and wood turning community. So go, go, if you haven't gotten your most recent issue of the wood turners magazine, get, go pick it up or go to the website, aaw.org, or find her on Instagram at Icosa Woodworks, and we'll, we'll stop there and 
maybe hopefully she doesn't know this, but I'm going to reach out to her and ask her <laughs> if she'll be a guest on the podcast. So I, I don't know if she listens to this. I doubt it yet, but thankfully her and I have a good interchange. She was able to even bring back a knife for me from Ireland that a friend of mine made and had sent to Glenn Lucas's studio because my friend also lived in Ireland. So thankfully she, I'd say she's, she's a kind person and, and a, and a good wood turning friend for sure. So let's move on from there and go on to what is already quickly being a hot debated subject, safety <laughs> in the shop. <laughs> already our second episode, Marcus and I had a interesting interchange about using the set screw on your chucks and face plates. And unbeknownst to Marcus, I actually got a direct message from a follower of the podcast, Antoine, and he sent me a picture of his robust American beauty headstock, which does not Has have it. the safety collar. What? I know. It I, doesn't have it. He's He was surprised, too. He sent me a close-up picture of it, and I was flabbergasted, to say the least. I was for sure that it was going to have it on it, and even he said there was one time where he almost just peed down his leg because he was so worried that he almost stripped the threads on it. No, I just, I just sent the picture to Marcus so he can see it for reference, but yeah, Antoine is a great oh. wood turner and avid woodworker in many different ways. We actually ended up connecting because he had done a class just shortly after me with Glenn Lucas. And so he had some questions about how to get, like what to do and you know little odds and ends so we've been you know conversing back and forth as well since then and he thankfully is a listener of the podcast so thank you for that Antoine and so as regards to our safety topic we've got some new ones that are going to be uh possibly controversial I don't know we'll see Marcus what is your safety <laughs> safety topic of the show or safety thing that you want to focus on this week? Well, I just want to say that just to clarify, I'm curious to see how many manufacturers make a groove or some sort of component in the spindle head that, so when you do set the set screw, it, it goes, it has a home that way. If you, forget to back it out and you go to unscrew your chuck you're not absolutely nourishing your your threads i'm fascinated because i don't want to be repetitive but i just think it's so silly that that isn't just a standard sop on every lathe ever manufactured but that's interesting that the american beauty doesn't have it that that i've worked on the american beauty when i was at ellsworth shop it's a beautiful lathe absolutely gorgeous in every way and I'm, I'm really surprised. Um, I just, I, I don't want safety topics necessarily that just be grievances, but I've got another grievance. Um, it 
can be said that the most critical safety component a person concerns themselves when they're working with wood in any capacity are your lungs because breathing in that dust is it, it it's reported to be very very dangerous you know they once that dust goes in your lungs apparently it doesn't ever leave your lungs and it just lives with you forever like luggage so sadly the um there are some low cost ways that you can protect yourself with face masks and whatnot but if you've worn one for any length of time you know they can be a little uncomfortable especially if it's really warm in your shop or you know you don't like things strapped to your face so a lot of wood turners use the the trend uh micro shield helmet and it is uh, trend air shield pro as a matter of fact and it's a very affordable full helmet but what kind of separates it from a normal mask is it blows air into your face so it's positive pressure that's how this thing works it has two intakes on the head and it pulls air through those these filters if you will that'll trap the physical floaties in the air and feed you fresh air into your face and it's really comfortable when you're really warm because it's kind of a cool uh it's like air conditioning for your face it's only four hundred dollars and i say it's only four hundred dollars because some of the other higher models are like fifteen hundred dollars or more and uh i i bought one um and and i've been using it very happily but my battery is not lasting <laughs> And so I need to buy a new battery and I'm just, it's $70 for a battery. <laughs> so $70 only, isn't that expensive. Uh, everything's relative, right? So anyways, that's my only grievance is this, this, this mask, this helmet probably has 400 hours of use maybe give or take and i'm already needing to buy a new battery which like i stated was 70 dollars. but still at 70 dollars, i'm only at 500 dollars, and i know for for fact you have a helmet with a positive air pressure and it was not 400 dollars. <laughs> so, you're right um, yes i i'm not bragging but i am very thankful to have the 3m versaflow the 300 and i was able to get it for a little cheaper than what it's listed for which i'm seeing it online any anywhere from about 15 1600 um i'm thankful that a friend of mine works for a local supplier that was able to get it for me a couple years ago for 1200 and 1200 like it's a lot more money than $400 and it's a lot more money than even we'll say $40 for a RZ mask with the filter, which can work. And like you said, does a very good job. Some people find them cumbersome or uncomfortable. However, sometimes safety can be a little cumbersome or uncomfortable. At the same time, 
your like you said your lungs you only get them once it's hard to it's impossible to clean them out especially once they've been caked with that dust so regardless of what you think or what you think the cost should be even investing forty dollars in something like a filtered face mask like the rz mask or something similar if you have the funds to be able to do it 400 for the the trend air shield or the uh versaflow 3m or uh what is it i forget the one that miller makes one that's a battery pack shield that's a papr powered air purified respirator i think is what that stands for um mm -hmm. that's eleven hundred dollars you can find other companies that make them it's really an important thing i know that there's been times where i've been lazy and haven't put it on and i've just worn my face shield even for half an hour of turning something if it's mm -hmm. walnut and then all of a sudden i'm done turning even if it's shavings that is mostly coming out i blow my nose why are mm -hmm. my boogers brown mm -hmm. you that can so there's a sign that you're breathing that in and that's not good <laughs> i i think you know, just to be clear, we're both saying that protecting your lungs is most important and you can do it with very affordable options. An M95 mask, a disposable N95 is going to be perfect. It will protect you of everything that you would have to worry about because we're talking about chunks. We're not talking about fumes, chemicals, any of the like, but we're talking about um, micro particulate that gets airborne. It's a really, really small stuff that you have to be really careful about one of the reasons it's we the stuff you don't see it's the stuff that yeah it the air gets hazy is the best way but you can do i i mean i i every once in a while i have worn uh 3m makes a number of face masks and the one that i like is the 653 ql um, there's also the 6555 they it allows you to pull the mask down and away from your face very quickly. If you just need a breath of fresh air or you need to talk to somebody, um, you can buy uh, filters that are specifically designed just for dust particulates. So the 3M 2096 filters, um, they, they're inexpensive. They're only like $9 through Amazon or wherever you buy your filter components. Um, they will protect you just fine. There's nothing wrong with any of that. And I highly recommend them um, because it allows you to spend money um, on tools and other tooling um, if you're just getting into it. But yeah, I will say... That's the important that thing, I, right? It is the most important lesson. But my wife, Stacy, and my daughter, Danny, um, gifted me one of these Trend Micro um pro shields and it has again the positive air pressure so it's blowing air in and then it's blowing it out your mask so dust can't get into your mask it's so comfortable it's a little awkward because your head's wobbling around because the battery pack is right on top so it's a little you have to kind of get used to it but yeah dust protection folks yep i will say as being an owner of the battery pack waste belt uh, powered air purified respirator as the 3M VersaFlow is 
The only downside to it is if you've had a little too much chili the day before or something that causes your uh, insides to not be so happy, there's been plenty of moments where I've, I've let something rip from the bottom end and guess where that air is coming right in from and being sucked in by a powered vacuum is yeah it comes right into your mask so you have to make sure you're not actively making a turn on the lathe making any cuts but yeah it's almost immediate it comes cuts. right in it, it yeah it cuts i mean it it's trimmed some nostril hairs but that's about it so that's the only downside to it that i found so far the battery life is amazing. I've gone six to eight hours with one battery. I am uh, stupid enough to have two batteries because I thought I lost my battery to TSA when I flew over to Ireland because you're not allowed to check batteries into your checked luggage. And I thought I had done that coming home from Ireland from Glenn Lucas's club or class and couldn't find my battery so i ordered another battery the battery for the versaflow costs almost as much as your trend air shield it was about 300 dollars. Oh and so i bit stars. the bullet because i knew i needed it yeah and i got it and oh. then probably a month and a half later two months later in my backpack that i was traveling with in a random pocket I found my other battery. So I have a backup battery. Oh, that's awesome. Not terrible. I mean, not terrible. It is a little (laughs) punch to the gut, but yeah, that's about the only thing I can say about the, uh, the, uh, battery powered waste belt ones. And the nice thing about those is the one I have, I got the hard shield, hard helmet with, and that can also be a, safety feature it works just the same as your regular uh safety shield that you could wear uh glenn lucas prefers the lighter um hood that they make i just like the helmet version because i'll take the added protection i don't use it as frequently as he does so it's Mm -hmm. it's been an amazing thing and honestly i think that rolls into our fools for tools segment is i mean these are both tools that we use and we're fools for but is there something else that marcus has found recently as a tool that he has enjoyed using lately something or a deal on something well i think i just wanted to reiterate a little bit as i remarked earlier about using plastic shrink film it's a tool it's used as a tool so you know I love it. you'll find it's like it's like when... Mike Pekovich. If if anybody listens to the um wood talk wood shop, what is it? Wood uh, talk. The fine wood fine woodworking podcast. Whatever the fine it's not wood talk. That's that's Spagnolo and all them Spags and Cremona. It's the fine woodworking podcast. Live. Shop talk shop live. Talk live. My favorite tool that he has and he's used it a few times in different ways is blue tape. So I think you can use shrink wrap. So blue tape is an amazing tool as well. 
but I like shrink wrap so, as well. Why do you like shrink wrap? Well, the 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 type or style that I'm talking about is if you ever move, you can buy the four four and a half inch. I think it's four inch wide, and it's on a handheld holder, if you will, and it allows you to very quickly spin this four inch plastic around lamps or cords. It's amazing if you or move, your, you have to have your it on and. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly what I did. So when I so when I uh turned when I was getting ready to hollow out that sycamore, I just went ahead and put a couple of wraps around it, you know, going clockwise around the turned object and then turn my lathe on slowly and I put, you know, 20 layers on there cuz I'm like I'm not dying with this. <laughs> but it's just so easy also also it not only worked in that capacity to keep a potentially dangerous or unstable blank from turning into more than one dangerous, unstable blank live on your lathe, but it also works. I use cold jaws because I'm not a cool guy like Chris Jacobson and uh, I don't have a vacuum chuck system. So I have to use the old uh, cold jaws. So what I'll do is before, so I'll finish the bowl on the outside and the inside while it's still on the chuck and I'll take that same plastic while it's on the lathe and put, you know, five or six wraps around the rim, folding it inside the rim. And then when I take it off the chuck and reverse chuck it onto the cold jaws, the cold jaws, little rubber stoppers are pushing against that film and not against the finished wood interior of the bowl or the exterior of the bowl. And I just think that's just a, a real um, cool guy tip. And a that's good use that's a for great plastic tip for tool. sure. Yep. I have a, a little roll of that myself in the back corner, just waiting for those opportunities where I need to use it. One key thing that you didn't record or didn't mention, but maybe something to think about. You want to make sure not to wrap it too tight, especially if it's a twice turn bowl and you you've got that inch of thickness that you're going to turn away on the inside only because if it's wrapped super tight, like if you stretch it out really far and stretch it on there, as you hollow out the rest of that bowl, that that film can actually pull the bowl in in certain ways or warp it in a way to, that you may not want, and it may move it in a way that you don't want while still keeping it together. I've, I've noticed that once or twice when I've done it, but you can wrap it lightly and still keep a solid. You, it's it's kind of like electrical tape. You can stretch it too far and almost add too much tension on it. Mm -hmm. But that's a great tip for sure. And when I use cold jaws occasionally, which I have them and use them occasionally, they work for some things that you need. It's a great thing that just that belt and suspenders to just make sure that mm -hmm. that piece isn't coming off because you have it come off once and you never trust it again. So <laughs> what also going in, I hot... think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot my, my tool, my fool for tools. Since, since Marcus had to call me out about owning a vacuum chuck. Yes, I do own two separate sizes of vacuum chucks. I have the three inch and the six inch hold fast vacuum chucks and a vacuum pump. Oh, I have an extra vacuum pump that's just sitting collecting dust on the floor that Marcus is waiting to come pick up if he ever comes to Seattle. But 
it's it's his waiting for it. But my tool, I, I was going to say something else, but I'm going to say this because I saw this on another Woodturner's Instagram recently where they use the hold fast or a vacuum chuck um, cup. However, whatever it is that mounts to, I think it's the cup, right? I mean, that's what I would call it, right? What would you call it, Marcus? Yep. It, it is a cup. The head, mm -hmm. the head, the cup, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. You can buy one of those that fits your headstock, or maybe you need an adapter. Like the Holdfast one is $80. It's yeah. typically inch and a quarter by eight TPI. You can use that and still engage your tailstock to turn off your tenon for what, 90, maybe 90. 5% of that finished turning on the bottom of your bowl. And then take your bowl off, use a small chisel or something to get that nub that's left. And then a little hand sander, you can sand it by hand. You can use your little orbital sander, whatever it may be to finish off that nub without needing the vacuum function yet. So maybe you're interested in the vacuum chuck setup but don't have the money for it because you just invested in a trend airshield pro or something else that will protect you in a longevity aspect, or you just don't have the money. I mean, some vacuum pumps are, I mean, Rockler sells a vacuum pump. It's $400. Like, that's a lot of money. And mm -hmm. for some unnecessary. So why not go and get just the cup or the head for the chuck? You can mount that to your headstock put your bowl up against it and turn off the majority of your tenon, your bottom of your bowl, your piece, whatever it may be. And there you go. Voila. You can finish it off and finish it off by hand with a small chisel, whatever it may be. I think that's a nice little cost efficient way of using that and maybe easing your way into a vacuum chuck at some point, once you've sold a few pieces to pay for that vacuum chuck, you know, just, just the thought, what do you think about that, Marcus? I think that's great. Things up. You know, yeah, it's a safety aspect in that having that ability to, you know, one of the great things about a, a an air chuck system is that you can chuck up awkward or warped pieces easier than if you had coals, jaws, or or if you're just doing a, a jam chuck. Jam chuck's a great way to go about it. It's the 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 least expensive. It's a great way to to put the foot on your bowl and it will take care of any any weird shapes. But a vacuum chuck is just that added layer that you're getting that connection. And I really look forward to getting some firsthand experience um besides what i did when i was at ellsworth's class but yeah i think it's a safety aspect for sure yeah and the, the nice thing about it is with that cup you can do that as long as you engage your tailstock the entire time you can leave a little nub half inch three quarter inch whatever you're comfortable with and then carve that off with the lathe off and off the lathe of course but you can pull it off the lathe and then finish off that process so mm -hmm. you know just a maybe a alternative method that i'd never thought about really is using mm -hmm. the cup for the 
for the vacuum chuck without having to engage the vacuum or even put put the vacuum system in so sure might be might be a more uh cost cost effective way of doing that so okay now marcus's favorite part because he took on my challenge last time and so we did do the challenge we have some pictures which we need to upload to our instagram and facebook and other social medias but marcus turned a beaded bowl and he did a great job of it it looks amazing it's i'm not going to critique it too much but it does look a little small it's not the size you said you said five beads bucko so i just happen to have it's not the size of the bowl it's the feeling in the hands right (laughs) is that what you're saying i don't know what to say to that um no i i really enjoyed this challenge um i followed your advice and connected as far as watching alexander designs youtube channel um alex does an excellent job of showing you his name is scott his name's not alex his last name is alexander oh okay scott alexander alexander designs <laughs> perfect thank you alexander designs youtube channel is a fabulous way to see how you can use either a bowl gouge if you have one that's at about a 40 or 45 degree angle or you can do what i did i used a spindle gouge that happened to be at that that uh, profile um it's an excellent way to make beads i just feel like it's a real it's a really excellent skill to have in your box um I didn't find it particularly challenging except for the getting a nice rounded bead. And so I think a few of my beads were a little flattened off. And then when I got what was really nice is it's 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 a push cut. And when you get done, it's pretty darn clean. If your wood is good, if you're starting with a really good wood blank, um, I just had to do some sanding and I flattened off some of my beads, unfortunately, with my sanding. Um, But I really enjoyed it. And I hope that those who are listening uh, will give it a whirl trying um, Scott's technique because it's 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 great. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah, it's it's a great skill builder for sure. Like Mm -hmm. chuck up a piece of something that is a plain wood that you know has nothing fun going on with it and just practice even if you practice the beads and you don't like them shave them off yeah do a new set shave them off even if you need to use your calipers to kind of set you up you you know use a pencil to to find the spacing that you want that's the fun thing about it is it's it's almost a really interesting combination of spindle turning and bowl turning all in one you really get into that that rhythm and the groove you watch his video and you can tell he's done thousands of those beads (laughs) and because of that like he has a great technique try not to focus on his footwear because he may be wearing (laughs) flip-flops in his shop in the dead of winter in Pennsylvania, which I do not no. understand. It is nice. not warm there. 
but ouch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Thankfully he's got it. He's got it set up in a way that is safe for him. That bowl is not coming off the lathe. Just mm-hmm. don't drop that bowl gouge on your little pinky mm-hmm. toe. It's going goodbye. <laughs> so now it's going to hurt. I turned a bowl as well. And I did a beaded outside edge. And on the one that I shared with Marcus, I, I did it the lazy man's way in quotes. I did it with using my D-Way beading tool, but that's another way that you can use it. So we're finding different forms that our audience can use to do it. And even Marcus found this week, Easy Wood Tools, who makes the carbide tools in different forms, makes a negative rake scraper that is in the form of different size beads. So if you're one that is apt to using those carbide tools, and even I'm going to say for myself, I'm going to invest in that cutter head and try it out because that's a great little way, especially with that negative rake, it creates a lot less tear out in theory, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to go and test it out and find it out for a $20 cutter head. I'm going to go mm-hmm. go buy one and figure it out so and see how it compares to those D-Way tools. So we'll we'll I post don't... those pictures on our Instagram and see you know what people think once they're finished up. Mine just needs to be sanded and apparently Marcus's has, has been over sanded, but either way we can there's some delicacies that we can add to those and you know you take the right angle of a picture and yeah, nobody's gonna really know, right? So yeah. now it's Marcus's turn to challenge both of us. He gets to choose the challenge this week since I chose the challenge last week. So Marcus, what do you got for me, buddy? Um okay. So I think we just roll with the hollow form. And I you I will jerk. I will give you I uh, will give you some constraints. I think it some or it one, can, some. I think it could be any size you want to make it. You know, if you want to make one of those little micro turns that are kind of fun, if you want to make something of another size, that's fine. But this is this is the one constraint. The hole can only be an inch and a half in diameter. Oh, okay. That's it. Inch and a half diameter. So it can't. So it can't be a micro turn then. What if my turning was smaller than an inch and a half in diameter? You see what I did there? <laughs> I yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Inch and a half in it. diameter. And uh, for the opening of green. the hall form. That's what you're yes, saying, right? Yes. The opening of that hall yes. form, no larger than an inch and a half. No larger than an inch and a half. And is the only constraint. No, no. One last constraint. It has to be as thin, as thin as you can get it. And and we're really shooting for, you know, maybe five sixteenths, even quarter inch. Whoa. Whoa. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, when I uh, when I held uh, Kevin Jasquell's walnut vase. It was like a sheet of paper and I wanted to cry. I was like, this is beautiful. This is amazing. And I think did we you should touch the we inside should... of it. I did not because the hole was only like 
I'm telling you, I'm just guessing three quarters of an inch, an inch at the largest. And it was ridiculous because the my first thought was, how do you get the chips out? A vacuum. And it's going you know, to be a vacuum. I, I see. Well, I see people using their their air compressors and stuff like that. And uh, it, it makes sense. But I maybe. thought the same thing. A vacuum would be better, right? I would think so because like you got you got to have a little little opening of an small. air gap to be able to create that circular. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's small. Okay, inch so, and a half, so that, inch and a half of opening, and, and at least half an inch diameter or in uh, thickness. No thicker than I'm saying. No thicker than five sixteenths. I'm thinking you got to shoot for it, and I'm thinking eighth inch is. Three sixteenths. What's, what's five sixteenths really... for our metric friends? I have no idea. Uh, it's like six millimeters. No, I couldn't even wager a guess. Beats me, buddy. Let's go with that. You don't even know? No. Oh, no. come on. Five sixteenths <clears throat> to millimeters? Eight mm. millimeters. Eight. Well, that sounds better than five sixteenths. Uh, no, that's my I'm challenge. Measuring but... a lot of things in millimeters because it sounds bigger. And I, I will tell you that I'm I'm gonna probably use my Easy Wood hollowing tools because I don't know that I'll have my Ellsworth hollowing system up and running in time. Um, I don't even. Ha- I have one hollowing tool. Just well, one money bag. <laughs> you have all the other cool no, tools. No. I, you have I've literally hollowed... all the other cool tools. <laughs> I've hollowed one thing out. It's sitting. I, my wife loves it because her favorite wood is spalted maple that she's found over the uh, years. She loves spalted maple. I hollowed yeah. out a cute little spal- spalted maple hollow form and didn't even sand the inside of it. I, I'll take a picture of it. I'll post it on our Instagram. It's It's sitting. It actually sits right above my head on a shelf. That is also spalted maple. She loves spalted maple, which, bless her heart, I love spalted maple too. So I'm like, yes, could that be worse count. Ones, Although then she, then she comes downstairs and is like, "Can you make me this out of spalted maple?" I was like, "Girl, not everything is spalted maple, and it's not that easy to find." <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can't just make this out of spalted maple. You can't just spalt the maple. Like, sorry, no, just, I don't know how to just, just do it, but. It. Yeah, I just, think I I'm going to be if I, was, some... if I was Sarah I think... Robinson, or I think Sarah Sarah Robinson from University of Oregon, yeah, I would know how to mm. spalt all the woods. But I, well, I'm not a scientist. I'm barely a woodworker. So <laughs> you are a fine woodworker, sir. Man. So that's it. That's my I mean, challenge. That's that's tough. All that's right, a, that's a tough one. I'll give you. That's a tough one. Holoform. Holoform with a at least five sixteenths inch wall. Yep. With at least a inch and a half no more. or inch and a half maximum opening. Yes. Which means no more. The great part about that is I don't have to sand that thing. Extra points. That's the whole point. Extra points for it smaller than an inch and a half. And that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The smaller the better, then you can't see if I've sanded the inside or not. How That's like how do you sand too. the inside of that thing? I don't even get it. You'd have to ask our friend. I, I would uh, love Kevin just well. I, I would love 
for either Kevin or maybe even Perry Shaw. I I, I think he might be listening to this as well. Perry Shaw mm. is an amazing local woodturner. He actually has been specializing in hollow forms too. And Perry has, he's under um, studio underscore Shaw, if you find him on the social medias, but he just recently finished his 5,000, 5,000, he did 5,000 hollow forms. We're not going to ever, like, you know how the, um, um, come on, brain, uh, saying, shop um, talk okay. live. Just, uh... oh. <laughs> Sorry. Shop talk live. <laughs> they had talked about a gentleman. I'm not sure what his name was, but he made a box every single day for a year. Matt Kenny. Year. 365 boxes. No, it yes. wasn't. It was a box a week. It was 52 boxes in 52 weeks. Okay. You're Matt right. Kenny. I know. He's I, the box you'll king. Con, you'll continue to realize that I am always right. I said this in the last episode. Now I have to say it again. Like, I was trying to be humble this week, but nope. Sorry. Yeah, Matt Kenny, he even made a book out of it. It's on my bookshelf right up here. 52 uh, boxes in 52 weeks. Yes. Matt We're not Kenny doing is that. an amazing woodworker. Well, We're not Perry that. Shaw is doing that, and <laughs> Perry Shaw has been turning less time than both of us. What? Wow. Yeah. He has been that's turning for six years. Well, that's that's about as long as I've been turning, six or seven years. Yeah, yeah. He started wood turning. I'm looking at his Instagram right now just to confirm. January 13th, so... That That's awesome. just happened a couple weeks ago of 2018. And he has made 5,000 vessels over six years. Wow. So that may be in the uh, someone else that has inspired us as of late, but that's a, a tangential way that Marcus brought that around. So Go search out Studio Shaw. He is a phenomenal woodworker, very kind gentleman. When he moved up, he moves. He lives in the uh, Seattle, greater Seattle area, but he moved up here maybe three, four years ago from Florida, and he he hit the ground running and is a he is an amazing wood turner. He also knows how to do open forms such as. Uh, some of us call them bowls. He can make a beautiful bowl as well, and he finds a great way to find great materials and use them to his advantage. So that's a great challenge, and I might even take that on tonight. I've got all night. I've got nothing Whoa. else to do but turn and sand and ignore my dog upstairs who he's going to sleep corny. on the couch and be happy anyways. Oh, poor little corny. Cornelius. You can follow corny at corny dot Pomeranian or something like that on Instagram. <laughs> he has his own he's Instagram. So just like, just like Marcus and I have our Instagrams. We have red chair woodworks. We have Hiram woodworking, which is H I R A M or what would you turn? 
W-O-O-D for the wood, because I'm a clever little not dad. Or you could also follow us on Instagram at a woodturner's journey. But either way, that's the end of this episode. You got anything else to say, Marcus? No, but I just completely enjoy this. Thank you, buddy. No, I hope you do, because it is a lot of work on my end. You just get to come up, look handsome, and and lean on me to do all the heavy lifting on the back end, which I tease, but I do it it because I'm a perfectionist in the best and worst ways. (laughs) Oh, that's not fair. He just opened up his own bottle of Glen Livet that he has sitting there, so I, I got nothing in front of me, which means this episode is over, and we'll see you on the next episode of A Woodturner's Journey. Thank you, guys. Bye now. Love you. Bye.